Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. It's coming from Nehemiah 2. This is just verses 4 and 5. It'll be brief. It just says this. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mike P, come on up here, man. Mike P set these shoes up. I don't know why he set these shoes up, though. What? Where the, Mike, where's the wireless mic? I need, hold on, Benny, I got the wireless mic coming. Yeah. Mike P, get up. What, do you set them shoes up? Are you trying to sell shoes to me? Are you trying to sell shoes to me? Now listen, those of y'all who are kind of hip-hop heads or you know what I'm saying, you're sneaker enthusiasts or whatever, you're kind of familiar with this setup. How it usually go down, Mike? You know, you usually, they have... You know, they, they rent out parking lots and stuff like that. And, you know, you get to, so, oh, where, where's Gina? Gina, come here before you go real quick. Yo, let me just tell you, Mike, get, get behind here. Get behind here, Mike. This, I, I'm just, hey, I don't know about y'all, but the, I, this is how I like to pull up. You know what I'm saying? I don't, come on, come on, guys. I don't, I don't even have no money. I am the ultimate window shopper, so I am never intending to buy anything. But I do like to pull up with the baddest lady in the place, yo. <laughs> I do like to pull up. I like to pull up like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Baby, you, but you know, then you know, Gina, she takes too long. So then I dismiss her. I say, baby, you can go. You can go, baby. You can go. <laughs> That's right. No, no. But then she comes back. But then she comes back. But anyway, you know, you pull up at these places. You know, you see these shoes. And Mike, what you selling today? What you selling? You selling retros? What you got? Yeah, these some ones. Okay, okay. You know, you know who I think would look real flossy in these ones? Man, I got a homie. Wouldn't Douglas Skipworth look nice in these ones? <laughs> The real nice of these one, right? Okay, okay. The lows for Douglas, Maybe the lows, though. Okay, the lows for Douglas. Okay. Yeah, what, what you got right here, bro? What you got? Yeah. I need some 11 lows. Uh, okay, 11 lows. They look a little worn, though. You know what I'm saying? Don't they touch my little... guy. Don't touch Oh, oh, oh okay, okay. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right, all right, man. What, 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 what you talking about? What, 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 what's right here? We got some eights. Got some eights? Okay. Ooh, look at the color. I ain't seen the colors like that before. You know, Mike, you know, that's how you do. You know, he's like, yeah, yeah. We're, ooh. Oh, they made, you know, if you really know sneakers, you're like, oh, you know, they only made 25 of those in 2006, and they were only sold in Oregon, you know. But I'm not like that, you know what I'm saying? All right, all right, look, look. I mean, how, how, much, how, much, how much you selling these for? I give these to you about 250 250 Yeah, the appraised value is going up. Yeah. I ain't on the market no more. How much you sell these for, bro? Uh, I get about two seventy-five. These are more recent. Why are we going up in price, though? I'm just I try to understand. Why are we going up? They got the padlers too. The oh. All right. How much the ones? How much the ones? These are about three fifty, my guy. Three fifty for the ones, man. They're highs, baby. Oh no, no. What are we doing here? Now listen. When you come to places like this. 
street vendors, sneakers, all the value is subjective, right? It's like, man, you know, there's a price market that's there. You know, there's a market that's kind of regulated, but whether or not you're going to purchase these things, it's all depending on how valuable it is to you. I'm preaching. We've started this journey in the book of Nehemiah. We started this idea about Jerusalem and him being there in Syria, right, and, and leaving Syria to go back, begging to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild it. And what I want to place on our hearts today is to begin to think about how valuable shalom is to us. Because ultimately, there's a price that we are either are going to be willing or unwilling to pay to be a part of it. So turn your neighbor, say, how valuable is shalom to you? At the Avenue, we've stated, it's on our website, it's in our founding documents that we are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. When we look at um, our campaign, Generation, the whole idea is for us to see shalom on Summer Avenue, not just for the tenure of our ministry, but for generations to come. And so it forces us to reckon with how much would we be willing to spend time, money, sweat, tears to see that dream realized? How long would we be willing to wait? How valuable is shalom to us? And so in order to do this, there's no way that we could talk about shalom without talking about Jerusalem first. Everybody say Jerusalem. All right. Now, let's just look at a quote that I think sets us up by C.E. Shepherd, just about the biblical context of Jerusalem. First of all, it's going to appear over 660 times in the Old Testament, 141 times in the New Testament. And Jerusalem's significance cuts through the literary genres, historical periods, political settings, theologies, and eschatological hopes. It was central to Israel's self-identity in its historical and theological development. It was freighted with political, social, theological, and figurative significance. If you want to help understand your Bible, you should do a little word study on Jerusalem. It's important, right? Last week, we focused a whole lot on the covenant and how we are children of the covenant, and that's how we want to be identified. And as a matter of fact, there's been something that God has been doing since the beginning of redemptive history that we're not just, we're a part of, right? God is continuing something that he's already started, and he wants to continue doing long after us, right? That's all what it means to be a covenant child. And Jerusalem is just as central um, to redemptive history as the term in the word covenant. Now, I believe I'm in Hebrew, so I'm feeling real good about my Hebrew right now. Olive bait, give me dollar hay, you know what I'm saying? I'm in there right now. I'm in my bag. We believe in its etymology, Jerusalem is probably a compound noun, right? It takes two words, one meant pillar, one meant shalom, or shalem, which is a cognate of shalom, right? And I believe, um, many believe that those words were kind of smashed together, and it kind of uh, gave us Jerusalem in the modern sense, which can either be translated as the foundation of good shalom or the foundation of peace, right? Now, once again, Jerusalem, we, we 
we can't totally corroborate that, that that's how those names came together. But whether it was founded with that intention, it certainly became known as the place of peace. Whether it was founded intentionally once upon a time and those names were come together and woven like that, we don't, can't really corroborate, but we do know what it became known and synonymous with in redemptive history as the place of shalom. Now, let's just talk about it real quick. Um, Jerusalem, a couple big bullets. It's the capital city of biblical Israel, all right? So, if you don't know anything else, biblical Israel, once 12 tribes, right? Somewhere down in the boot of the Mediterranean, which eventually became the southern kingdom, that's where we find Jerusalem. It was the capital city of biblical Israel, right? Now, it didn't always begin that way. When Saul, previously, before King David, um, who was the first king of Israel? Saul, there you go. Saul was king. Now, Saul, his capital city um, was Gibeah, right? But somewhere along the line, he moved um, Jerusalem. Uh, he, he moved the capital to Jerusalem, which was formerly inhabited by some ites. Everybody say some ites. Y'all know those fun names in the Old Testament that you can't pronounce Gergesites. Kibusites, Elabites, right, Zites, but Jerusalem was formerly inhabited by a group called the Jebusites, right? And we believe that when they were overtaken, now then Saul reestablished the capital in what was formerly the place where the Jebusites lived, and they called that place Jerusalem, right? Um, now, once they established that as the capital, the city subsequently became the place where the Ark of the Covenant inhabited. If you know anything about, once again, the Old Testament in redemptive history, then you know that wherever that Ark was, it represented the presence of God, okay? And so once Saul established Jerusalem as the capital city, the Ark began to travel there right? And the ark also, like I said, it's where the presence of God was. And more than Israel being a capital city where the throne of the king of Israel was, the ark represented that that's where God's throne was amongst his people. And as a matter of fact, later on, the city, um, you see this in Ezekiel 48:35. the city from that time shall be called the Lord is there, right? Um, and then later on, you'd also hear in the Old Testament um, that writers would refer to it as the holy city, right? Um, and why is it holy? Why is that city holy, the one that the Jebusites used to live in? Why is the city holy, the one that Saul changed the capital from Gibeah to where he is now? Why is it holy? It's only holy for one reason, y'all. It's only holy by virtue of the fact that God abides there. I said a whole lot of mumbo-jumbo just to really tell you one thing. Jerusalem wasn't always Jerusalem in the Bible. We don't really get any mention of it until we get to the United Kingdom when they established the capital city there. That's when it becomes Jerusalem. So what was special about Jerusalem before it was Jerusalem? Nothing. 
Why is Jerusalem special? Only because our living God is there. This is really important for us. I'll start unpacking Shalom a little bit later. But I want to make our intentions really clear. We've oftentimes referred to Shalom as being this idea, and I'll let the cat out the bag. Shalom is not just the cessation of beef and wars and drama. It's not just tranquility, if you will, right? Shalom, we've often called of it, it's a place where nothing broken, nothing missing. It's, it's comprehensive wholeness, and it is all of that. But what I'm trying to say is the place that is literally synonymous with shalom in the Bible, Jerusalem, is not shalom unless our Lord is there. What I'm trying to say is, if you offered me a utopia and Yahweh's not there, I want no part of it. So let's just be really clear before we get anywhere else. What we are pushing out, what we are persuading people and inviting people to come into is not, you know, my favorite imagery. All you good white beer drinkers in here, I'm just like, man, I grew up. 30 years just looking at them Coors Light commercials and you know what I'm saying, people who wearing bathing suits in the snow, I'm like, man, where's that? That's so dope, you know what I'm saying? Everybody happy all the time. They all got the nice vibe and music, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, golly, that just looks so dope. I wanna be there. I'm just telling you, you could give me that minus my king and I ain't going. What we're inviting people into is what Jerusalem was supposed to represent, which is a flourishing under the lordship of Jesus, y'all. That is shalom. Write it down. We've got to add to our definition. Shalom is not just nothing broken, nothing missing. Shalom is a divine Christological peace. That's what it is, y'all. And if our Jesus ain't in that mug, it's not for us. Amen, somebody. So this is what we know about Jerusalem. We know that the prophets, they end up rebuking Jerusalem harshly because Jerusalem also began to represent the capital city where the priests did their thing. And then the priests, they went left, right? And they turned God's city, which is supposed to be this thriving, literal, physical place where people thrived underneath God's lordship and rules. They turned it into a place that rejected uh, the poor people, committed murder. They oppressed people. Um, they sought ungodly alliances. And so Jerusalem, as Jerusalem went left, it also brought about its literal and physical demise. But everything then began to rest on this promise that Yahweh would actually preserve a remnant of hope through a group of people who would continue to stay faithful to Yahweh. And then the gospel evangelists, they pick it up. They understand how important Jerusalem was. Mark, in his gospels, he paints this negative picture of Jerusalem closely associated with the Pharisees, right? How they've taken it left. All of the gospels have this central idea of Jesus. As you read the gospels, he kind of begins and he climaxes. The big work is accomplished in Jerusalem. It's so central to all of the teaching. 
And Luke really knocks it out the park. Not only does Luke's gospel begin with a picture of Jerusalem, it ends with a picture of Jerusalem. But then it captures Jesus who offers this lament over the city of Jerusalem. This is Luke 19, 41 through 44. He just says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you up on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, what it was supposed to represent and what it turned into. He wept over it. Everybody say, we got a problem. Jerusalem had been sacked so many times it don't make no sense. So it got sacked by, you know, obviously uh, the Babylonians. But Jesus is coming back now and saying, hey, he's predicting that this thing will be um, torn up again, once again, because of the unfaithfulness. I don't think we could stress enough covenant faithfulness. Because why does Jerusalem keep getting decimated? Is it because God can't sustain his end of the bargain? Is it because there weren't enough people to work and build it and put it together? Oh, we just don't got enough. You know what? The city wouldn't have fell if we would have had enough soldiers. No, actually, Jerusalem wouldn't have fell if we didn't had enough brick masons. Oh, you know what? If we would just had enough people who knew how to cut stone, this city would have stood fortified for millennia. Why does Jerusalem keep falling, yo? It's because something internally is, 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 is being destroyed. Therefore, it's manifesting externally. Why are you preaching this to us? Shouldn't we be talking about raising money? No, I'm telling you, the people who want to put shalom on Summer Avenue for generations, why won't it happen? It's not going to happen because we don't have enough money. It's not going to happen because we don't have somebody to do the roof. If we fail to not see Shalom on Summer for Generations, it'll be because of something in here. That's why it's always been my prayer, God, get us right before you put us in there. Because if you get us right, we don't ever have to be worried of what's on the back of the sheet. We don't ever have to be worried about how it balances or don't balance. Because we know that where you have a vision, you will bring your provision. But you want to know the quickest way to not see shalom in your marriage? Keep some sin in there. You want to know the quickest way to have a turbulent house and not see God's presence rest in there? Keep some sin in there. I make more money than I ever make. My wife got a job. My kids, I don't have to pay for their daycare. They're old enough to speak in complete sentences. So why is everything a wreck? Keep some sin in that house. Keep a lack of covenant faithfulness, and you'll watch things turn to quicker than you could ever count to two. 
But the reality is, is that all of us inside of our lives, we all experience this cycle of turbulence and peace and turbulence and peace because it's true. Raise your hand if you're always faithful. Okay, I was just tricking you. It's like Simon says, if you are the faithful Israelite, put your hands up. (laughs) We all got the problem, don't we? What's wrong with our house? We live in it. What's wrong with your marriage? Your spouse married to you. What's wrong with your children? They got you as they mama. Am I lying? So we need a, we need a solution, don't we? What ancient Israel didn't know, what all those people who worked on Jerusalem didn't know, is that ultimately, the rebuilding and the reestablishment of Jerusalem was really pointing forward to an inner reestablishment that could only be provided by the Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord, somebody. Once again, shalom is divine peace. From the Dictionary of Biblical Themes, it just says, providing peace for his creation is a characteristic of God. You should just, that one right there. Providing peace for his creation is a characteristic of God. You need to highlight it, take a picture, tattoo it. Somebody get a tattoo, I'll give you $150. Prorate it, though, over 10 years. (laughs) Come on, it's hard on the streets. It's hard, you know what I'm saying? But in the Old Testament, peace came through adherence to God's will as expressed in his spoken word, his covenants and law. The Hebrew word shalom means peace in all its fullness in every aspect of life. We talked about that. Deuteronomy 29 and 9, they knew this. If we keep the words of this covenant, do them, that they would be able to prosper in all that they do. But what's the problem, y'all? We can't keep the covenant. Obviously, New Testament, can't overstate it enough. That the ultimate fulfillment of shalom for God's people and Jerusalem, it's essentially this. God's ultimate provision of peace is discovered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Pause and praise. Hey, man, somebody. Hallelujah. The ultimate provision of shalom is discovered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is only through Christ. Can I get all, listen, I am never more proud of my white brothers and sisters when I let y'all sing in Christ alone. That's when I love you the most. I love you, because y'all sing that thing with your whole heart. <laughs> you look like Pastor Tim up there, and I love it. On the count of three, let me just get you to get that in Christ alone. One, two, three. In Christ alone. Yes, I'm going to pause one How is shalom achieved? In Christ alone. Stop. That's all. That's all. That's all. That's all. That's all I want. It's really what I want to help you understand today. It's I want to help you take your faithful soteriology, right, that only in Christ alone is life found. And I want you to help put that with your, 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 your orthopraxy, right? Some of y'all, I, I, I find where you're struggling to connect the bridge. 
Some of y'all come to church and you, you're so thankful for good and faithful theology and Christ-centeredness, and then you're like, okay, now let me go do altruism. Let me go do philanthropy. And you forget. You got to connect this bridge. You got to connect that bridge. That ultimately, yes, we want to see neighborhoods beautified. Yes, we want to see equal access to health care and education, equity. We want to see all of that. Why, though? Why? It's not because we actually feel like if everybody got handed the same amount of money, they'd experience shalom. Because shalom is a biblical idea and concept. And yes, you could live in a neighborhood with mixed class housing, with intergenerational neighbors, with racial diversity, but it still is not shalom. Do y'all understand that? That shalom is something so much bigger and richer that when we, by God's grace, get to participate in little aspects of shalom, why? To point them to the ultimate shalom, yo. That's what we want to do. Why do you work so hard? Um, And why do you, you could have taught at that school. Why do you go teach at that inner city school? Oh, because I know I'm just bringing a little foretaste of something that's yet to come. Why do you live there as opposed to living there? Oh, you know, because I believe my God is redeeming all things, and I just want to tell you about him. It's a big story. That's why we've been working so hard to give you a redemptive historical narrative. Because God is doing something, and we get to be a part of what God has been doing for generations. And if we are faithful, then other people will get to experience life that can only be found in God underneath him. But it's only in Christ alone. Romans 5 and 1 says this, that therefore since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How does peace come to us, y'all? Only through faith. In Jesus, only by believing in the one who obeyed the covenant on our behalf do we get the covenant benefits. There is nothing about our record that we can present to God and say, yeah, now you owe me. You see what I did for you, Jesus? And we got to be careful too. Because I think the same way that we came into salvation is the same way we have to live by faith. So we cannot come and say, Lord, you see how much trash we picked up? And Lord, you see all all the work we did for you, Lord? Now we deserve some shalom. That's not how it worked. We came in by faith. We stay in by faith. And Avenue, what I'm asking you to take a ride on with me is this. We want to invite others into the peace that we have found in Jesus We seek to invite people to what he's done in in our hearts. That ultimately, we want to give them a picture that what God has done in our hearts is what he will one day do to the whole entire earth. And what he's done in our hearts, he can do in yours too. Going back to that first definition, you don't have to go there, Jesse. 
that shalom, providing shalom for his creation is a characteristic of your God. Do you believe that? That it is your right as his children to have shalom. And do you believe that he delights to give it to you? Do you believe that? That he actually wants. Do you remember we preached that scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, where he's literally leaning over to try to get grace to you? Some of y'all, some of y'all, some of y'all don't want to sit in that tension. I got to keep grinding. But if I rest in him, he is trying to actually get peace and joy to my soul. Here's what I don't want us to do. I don't want us to ever be confused that we're going to go out there, spend some money, hit some hammer and some nails, and we're going to provide what we are actually not experiencing in our soul. We need to stop now. You will have missed the whole entire point, Avenue Community Church. If we're going to go out there and try to refurbish something and we don't believe that we've been remade new and we don't believe fresh peace is coming to our hearts and our minds and our souls. Why did Nehemiah ask to go rebuild his ancestral home? Because he believes so much in what Jerusalem represented. This literal place this foundation of shalom. He believed so much in that idea that he wanted to go back and rebuild it. It was valuable to him. That peace that you have in your heart, how valuable is it to you? To see your neighbors, your family, members and your co-workers, to see them experience a new level of wholeness and peace and joy that can only be happening and experienced under the Lordship of Jesus. How valuable is that to you? I think, listen to me, I'm done. I think one of the most evangelistic things that we could do is probably engage that property that has zero value to literally almost everybody else. I'll just be honest with you. We're the only suckers who thought that was valuable. Am I lying? It was just going to be another strip mall, another gas station. We took a hit. That thing probably lost value the moment we bought it. But I think the one of the most evangelistic things we could ever do is put ourselves in a position where people are asking us questions. Why y'all bought that? Bro, I know you don't understand it, but there's something that happened in my heart in 1999. I want you to experience too. And what we're going to eventually do to that building is what God has already done. I think we 
strategically placed ourselves in that space, y'all, where we have to be forced to defend what is valuable to us. And yes, we could have kept a whole lot more money and we could have hired a whole bunch more people, but we put ourselves in the middle of a community of like most communities probably don't know a whole lot or have a whole lot of confidence in the God of Shalom. And we made them ask us some questions. I want to know how many people are eager to offer their answer. Always being prepared to offer a defense for your hope. Stand with me.